Hi, I'm Jennifer Zollett. And I'm Larkin Bell. Welcome to our podcast, A Brighter Lens. the pleasure of speaking with friend of the pod and our favorite film critic, Beandria July. Beandria is a culture writer and audio producer. She's written for The Hollywood Reporter, Vanity Fair, New York Times, NPR, Time, the list goes on. She also has an exciting new podcast coming out with Cherry Picks, so stay on the lookout for that. Enjoy our conversation about film and the time of COVID. Hello. Thanks for joining us, Beandria. Always a pleasure. Always an absolute <laughs> pleasure. Yay. So yeah, we just kind of wanted to connect with you and, and hear your thoughts on uh, on films right now, which kind of feel like a it's a weird wild west out there um, for movies being made, being released. I guess movies being written are kind of just like same same as usual, you know? Yeah, except maybe without so many characters and crowds and touching and being close to each other. So all that too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um. But yeah, we just kind of want to hear your thoughts on on any general trends or patterns you've noticed with, I guess, films being released during this time that we've seen so far or, you know, things that you've noticed. Yeah. Um, well, you know, it's interesting because since March, I've been um, kind of busy working on the other side of the business, like um, in a writer's room. So... I have not watched as much as I normally would um, outside of like my reviewing duties, but um, I have noticed that obviously the big budget features that the studio sinks all their money into um, obviously have had nowhere to be seen. And so I've, I do think there's been room left open for smaller films that maybe would have just gotten buried um, and people are actually taking the time to see them. Um, like, well, never, sometimes, rarely, is it, never, rarely, sometimes, always. I feel like we've uh, had this discussion so many times. What is the order? Right? <laughs> <laughs> the wonderful film by Eliza um, Hitman <laughs> um, was just caught in the sort of undertow in that it had just come out when everything closed down and then they pivoted to a premium VOD and it was one of the first um acclaimed movies to do that in my memory um i don't know how the movie did financially we know it was a success critically but um since then a lot of the movies that i really was looking forward to being released haven't come out from sundance mm -hmm. um you know like minari was probably at the top of that list um and also um well bad hair is coming in october for halloween but um yeah it's also Juneteenth, more people, I feel like I was just looking at the best movies of 2024, 2020 so far list. And Vulture has um, Juneteenth on their list, which I just don't think that would have happened in any other time. Um, even though I think it's a great movie that would have deserved to be there. I, it's just like really opened up space for people to take more chances and look at things they wouldn't necessarily otherwise look at. And then Gina Prince-Blythewood's 
is like the only kind of superhero, you know, typical um, franchise film that has gotten a lot of interest. But we don't know because everything's behind streaming doors now. We really don't know how any of these movies are performing in terms of hard or concrete box office or the comparable that. Yeah, it's interesting. You mentioning Never Rarely, Sometimes Always reminded me of First Cow, directed by Kelly Reichardt, which I haven't seen. Yeah, they re-released it, right? They re-released it. And then there was even some screenings through um, like Lincoln Center, like Film at Lincoln Center was doing some stuff there. So I'm curious to see how like virtual cinema starts to like come into play. Like I know you can rent or, you know, view films through certain movie theaters around the country um yeah so i'm curious to see how that all goes because i feel like i used to never rent like movies at home um because i'm like oh, i'd rather go see something you know in a movie theater or see something on streaming but definitely i'm more open to it now so i'm curious to see how the viewing habits change yeah it's sort of like the best of times and the worst of times for indies because then there was an article that came out yesterday in IndieWire about how you know, because of this new AMC deal that shortens the exclusivity window to 17 days before they can put it on VOD, um, the big studios, that means that like indie movies that take a while to build word of mouth um, and get attention will not benefit because it takes longer than 17 days for that to happen, Um, which I don't know. Yes and no. Everyone's kind of just coming up with theories and then calling it news, but no one really knows what the hell's going on. I don't think. It is funny, though, with like the one new thing kind of being put out every week or something. Like, I feel like the weekend that Palm Springs came out, everyone was like, hey, um, yeah, I know I've seen Palm Springs. Like, have you seen Palm Springs? It's like, yeah, everyone's seen Palm Springs because that's the one thing that's new. And so I'm curious, like, even, I don't know, just tracking the whole quarantine of like, oh, yeah, that was the Tiger King era. You know, that was whatever, like, piece of TV or film that's come out. Like, it is interesting where it's kind of served as, like, a social connection to people um, to talk about something new. I don't know. Have you guys had yeah, that experience? No, and that we're all watching the same thing for the most part because there aren't like a hundred new things to watch constantly. And it's like, yeah, what do I go to on my streaming device? Well, oh, there's a new one. And everybody's probably watching that. Yeah, yeah. And there and there also have been like just the social forces. Um, I don't know that there is a pandemic movie genre, but, you know, many people have commented on Contagion being very close to reality. And and then there's been this, like, uptick in issues of, I mean, because people are looking for things, proactive things to do in a pandemic around Black Lives Matter. There's been this deluge of, like, movies to watch, you know, for education, which is kind of a fraught uh, premise in my mind. But... Um, <laughs> But um, there's been a lot of attention on, like, the archives um, and going back and seeing films that we missed. And that's been kind of fun, actually, to think about that. Yeah, and that those, you know, like Amazon Prime, like all the streaming devices, they created those whole, like, categories for a while um, where it was really easy for white people to go on and be like, oh, there's the film that, you know, I want to watch. Yeah, yeah, they realized after people were just naturally going to be the help that they had to do something more specific. 
specific. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Yeah, something else that just popped up into my mind that I feel like we've talked about with you before, Beyondra, is the idea of like a comfort watch or comfort viewing um, of TV and or movies. Um, I just feel like that that idea is so strong right now. I know my comfort TV show is Gilmore Girls, so I've been rewatching it for like the ninth time now. Um, but yeah, I feel like that I've heard people talk about that, like even just to kind of like chill at the end of the night and just like, okay, I can watch this thing that's comfortable and I know what's to be expected. Yeah. I mean, I think there's something to be said for like, you know, animal brain taking over (laughs) this time. Like I know for me, it's the same thing. Like my, one of my comfort shows is called the midwife. So, you know, and I've really been watching things about babies, like that baby's Netflix documentary series I've watched like twice now also because it's also really fascinating um but uh yeah like I'm looking almost completely for comfort or something that like 10 people have told me I have to watch I guess another question kind of zooming out a little bit is this idea of there's just a lot of discussion of like which films will be released in theaters and and when that will happen I know that, like, you know, recently we've heard that Christopher Nolan's Tenet is going to be delayed in, in, I was going to say infinitely, but indefinitely is really what I meant to say. Um, But just... Freudian slip, Freudian slip. I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then we heard this week that Mulan will be dropped on Disney Plus for for $30. And I know on on my little corner of film Twitter, that was like a big, big um, piece of discussion. So wondering what you're just the fact that like $30, like, whoa, that's so much. And then people are like, well, for a family, that's fine or whatever. And again, like, I just think it's changing the landscape and wondering what your thoughts were on that. Yeah, I mean, I think there was a time when um, people thought like when Netflix first started to come out and was DVD heavy, like where people were like, why am I going to pay for this service when I have cable, you know, and flash forward whatever amount of years later, like everybody has Netflix and, um, or they're sharing it with someone. Um, (laughs) um, and, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, my instinct is that like, I don't know. I kind of like seeing the big studios scramble because I feel like they have had no motivation to be on their own. They've had no motivation to be innovative or think about equity or, you know, anything um different than what they've been doing and so now you know everything is kind of back on the table at least you would hope um and i hope that out of this period comes like a lot of innovation um in the same way that i mean the film industry is only 100 years old you have to remember that like um it seems like you know it's been around since you know greek period but it, it hasn't like nothing is really that old or set in stone it wasn't that long ago that actors are on contract with studios and there was no agent system, you know, like, so my hope is that something new and forward thinking comes out of this. I mean, I think that's like a very optimistic hope. Um, I don't know because it feels like people in Hollywood definitely just go for what's convenient and most profitable, but because we don't know, we don't have convenience in terms of theater going anymore. Um, and it really doesn't, the thing about it is we really don't know when 
we'll be able to go back into the theater because every day it seems to be, it seems like we're worse off now than we were back in March. Yeah, somehow. Oh, like, what? Definitely are. Yeah. Um, which is kind of crazy, right? Like, we basically ruined our economy for nothing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool, cool, cool. Um, or... I mean, that's probably not the right way to think about it. If you know, we had a scientist here, they would explain it in a better way. But from an outsider novice point of view, like that's what it feels like. Um, so there's no like we can't even say with certainty like by 2021. I mean, because Sundance is already retooled for 2021, right? So mm -hmm. we can't even say with any certainty like if we'll get back into the theaters next year. So yeah. <laughs> we're just like, you know, unprecedented. So, so I don't know. I'm hoping for innovation, but I, you know, try to keep my expectations of Hollywood pretty um, indifferent. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. Yeah. I love your optimistic view, though. I think that would be amazing if there were innovation out of this and if it were a new era of movie going or just films in general and experience how we experience that I mean Jennifer and I for example have gone to uh, a few drive-in movies and we had never been to drive-ins before and that's so fun um, for all our listeners we are basically quarantined together so just we're being safe. We're being safe. <laughs> we're being safe. Hashtag be safe. Um, but that's a fun thing. Not that that should be, you know, the future of, of film, but it is kind of fun that like, oh, there is a different way we can go and kind of experience as an audience, at least just have a different new experience in viewing a film, not on my own television. Um, but yeah, I hope, I hope that more people are in your, your camp of, finding innovation through this it reminds me of um i know this wasn't a big studio film but miranda july's kajillionaire and how she released oh, yeah. her trailer on instagram and social media by having her followers i think she announced it the day before and said tomorrow here's the dropbox link go in find my trailer and release it yourself and that was such a miranda july thing to do of course but at the same time it was like oh yeah that hasn't why haven't anybody thought of that before like that is a great way to do that and so many people have watched this trailer and um I just hope yeah there's more of that type of innovation as well like even on a smaller scale yeah and people like her are really well situated because you know she's had so much of her career you know outside of the industry and not this is like kind of her first big shot where she's been given like a proper indie budget it and she didn't have to be in the film and you know like she had you know well-known actors in it you know like it was and she's been doing this for I don't know 20-30 years um always from the outside always on the margin so it makes sense it like you said it's a completely Miranda July thing to do but I think we need more people like that like leading this conversation because I think what's unquestionable is there are, there's an audience for any kind of well-made film, I think, of any kind, like, of all different kinds. And I think maybe this is the time to develop, like, you know, what's beyond the superhero film, like, that gets lots of people in the seat. seems to be horror these days. But, um, but yeah, I, I'm all for that, and I hope that... And yeah, that's the part that is sad because someone like her, like I want her to have a traditional 
theatrical release and like kill, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, because I feel like she's worked so hard for so many years without reward, and I feel yeah. like she should get reward, you know? Like, um, like it's really unfortunate for her, like Eliza Hitman, for example. Um, you know, people who've been building, 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 and putting more and more stake in the ground, and you know, I wish there was a way that we could directly support them in a way that's like very impactful. Hmm. which is, I guess, what she was doing with the trailer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, it, you know, it's interesting, too, all those ones you just mentioned, like, luckily they had the opportunity to screen at Sundance this year. That was sort of the last, or the first, I guess, big, <laughs> the last and the first <laughs> big film festival <laughs> of this year. Um, but I think of all the, you know, the subsequent film festivals that people have premiered at that are are equally you know top film festivals but they're virtual now and that is such a different thing and um not as many people I would imagine see the films and then the discussions around the films and just kind of the buzz that's created at these festivals that too is lost so luckily these filmmakers had Sundance and it's sort of like yeah what will happen now for everybody else who doesn't have that and how will those films fare yeah actually you know I it's interesting because things are virtual. I have been getting credential for more film festivals than I would if I had to travel there. Like I just got credential for the Bentonville Festival, Gina Davis's organization festival. That's usually in Arkansas. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was looking at the slate and it's like really interesting. Like there's a bunch of like, there's a movie with um, directed by Sujata Day who got um, her first start in Misadventures of Awkward Black Girl. Um, and it's about like a, a washed up, spelling bee champion um who's like trying to figure out her life which i think is such an interesting premise definitely like fresh um and there's a a heist movie about uh, a chinese american family that has a restaurant and the daughter somehow turns it into like a drug running thing like when they're delivering food it becomes like a drug business or something and i don't know it's kind of an interesting premise too um so I have like four movies, there's at least four or five movies on their slate that I'm like really excited to see um, that are like world premieres. Yeah, that's awesome. And they actually, they had initially been scheduled like right as the pandemic kind of was uh, on the horizon. <laughs> on the horizon. That's when the festival was supposed to be. And then um, then they moved it, uh, thankfully. Oh. And now it's virtual. But yeah, I think that's totally right. That is exciting. And um like, I feel like that festival, I've heard more buzz about it recently. And I don't know if that's just I wasn't as aware of it last year or the years before, or if there genuinely is kind of more buzz about it because there are fewer things um, to, out there now to buzz, about. to buzz about. And because, you know, we can all participate in this festival. And I thought that was interesting what you said about, um, too, not just getting festival credentials, but also not having to travel and pay your way to travel, to house yourself, to like pay to be at this festival, to then work and give press and write and see these films. Um, That is kind of an interesting side of this as well. Yeah. I mean, I would never have been sent by any publication to Bentonville. Um, I mean, I should say never, but it's, that's usually reserved for staff. If they send staff, if they send anyone, they send a staff person for that. Um, you know, Sundance and the bigger festivals, Toronto, like they, 
you know, might they need more critics because there's so many movies. But I mean, but last year I I paid my own way to Toronto because the main publication I usually review for refused to um, front my way. So and then I ended up writing like reviews on two of the biggest movies at the festival, but um, redacted. Anyway, um, <laughs> I um, <laughs> yeah, that just made me think too. I guess just kind of yeah, broadening the scope of that a little bit of these, um, you know, like writer director labs, like artist labs, essentially. Like I know Sundance has pivoted to all online. Um, same with, you know, other organizations. And I'm curious to see while there is a loss of the in-person collaboration, in-person creative energy, how that might possibly um open up access to people that would not have been able to attend these labs in the first place or, you know, think that they could be a part of that. Um, so yeah, that's just making me think of what you were, you were saying about the innovation with the film studios, but I think that actually can apply to like so many different parts of the industry. Yeah, absolutely. Have you guys gone to any of the, um, virtual, I'm sure you have virtual Q and A's with like whatever talent from the movie or director from the movie. And like, have you found them how do they compare with the in-person ones or like, how are they different? I've done some webinars or the coffee talks, like Film Independent has the coffee talks and then Film Fatales has some really wonderful webinars and they're all, you know, conversations. So the Q&A part, I guess the, the Film Independent ones, they do have Q&A where you can type in the chat and ask a question um, that that part feels different, but I do enjoy the conversations and I think we've really enjoyed the film fatales webinars we've learned so much yeah. from the guests that they have on those they're super intentional so like very informative I feel like I learn a lot so I wonder too yeah it just feels so much more accessible mm-hmm. like I mean on a smaller scale of traveling it's like oh yeah I don't have to drive to you know wherever this panel would have been in person um and figure out parking and all this other yeah, stuff like yeah. yes I, I do love being in person that's that can be unsaid but um yeah there is something to um just having these opportunities to learn and listen to people mm-hmm. what about you yeah I think I think that um you know it's interesting because you know this industry is so much about celebrity and access and there's something about seeing like a celebrity in their home and their like Wi-Fi cuts out that sort of like blasts through all that veneer of like specialness. Um, and I mean, the more, I don't have to tell you this, the more you live in LA and, and work around the industry, the less cachet celebrity has. But, um, you know, it's, I don't know, it's kind of interesting. Like I watched the... Um, Spike Lee had a talk back um, where he was interviewed by Barry Jenkins and it kind of felt like you were just sitting in on them having coffee and, um, you know, Barry, like, you know, being deferent to him and Spike, like, you know, giving him like fatherly wisdom and, (laughs) and it was kind of adorable, actually. He, you know, Spike was like, I'm real proud of you, Barry. And I was just like, this is wonderful. You know, like, I don't know if that would have happened at a theater. Right. You know. With the like um, actual physical presence and energy of an audience, like the public watching you. Whereas like if right, they're on Zoom right. screen and they can't see, you know, the participants, um, then it is maybe a little bit of a more intimate conversation, weirdly, even though it's through, you know, our screens. Right, right. 
Yeah. Barry and Lulu Wong got a dog. Has an Instagram. I'm just letting everyone know. PSA. <laughs> <laughs> called Chauncey the Dog. Wow. You heard it here, it's, folks. It's so <laughs> cute. Yeah, I'm doing the important work spreading this word. Um, Three, two, one, action. Um, <laughs> where can you find this dog on social media? It's like Chauncey Wong Jenkins. Oh, my gosh. It's really cute. Wait, what's the dog's name? Chauncey. That's like a great name, actually. It is a yeah. great You just, you, don't worry, I'll send you guys a picture. It's really, really cute. <laughs> I guess maybe the last question is, is there a, a film that you've seen that's come out during this time that you'd really recommend for everyone to check out that, um, that it's a must-see? Or a show? Well, I really liked, there's this movie, it's not actually a new movie, but it had played the fest, film festival circuit, but um, it's a documentary called, I believe it's called either the remix or the hip-hop remix. It's terrible that I don't know the title of it, but it's sort of, it's this really niche film about hip-hop and fashion, and like a history of 1990s fashion and hip hop, and the people who were behind it. And I just thought it was so fascinating. It hit all of my spots, like, you know, like culture, 90s nostalgia. Um, I'm not, I can't claim to be super into hip hop, but like in the extent that like everyone who lives in America has some connection to hip hop, I enjoyed like reliving my middle school years and seeing like oh that was how that happened and then fast forwarding to today with people like um dapper dan and like his whole history i didn't know and that movie tells the story so um that's a really good documentary it's on netflix um and yeah i mean i always you know seal in the spades was two years ago now for sundance but that just got released in the spring that's really enjoyable um yeah, I feel like there is a little bit of a tilt towards television in the past few months and all the must-see shows and things that people are talking about tend to be TV shows. Definitely. Tell us about this podcast that you've been working on. Yeah, I've been developing this, I've been developing this podcast with Cherry Picks, um, which is sort of the um, Rotten Tomatoes for Women website that launched a couple of years ago. My co-host is the director of production at Cherry Picks, Meg, and we're doing a sort of like deep dive into depictions of feminine sexuality in movies. Um, and so this iteration of the pod is, is called Cherry Pop. Um, and it's going to be kind of like a look at different themes in movies around sexuality and um like we're going to look at religion we're going to look at coming of age films we're going to look at um queer issues um and a few other themes um that we're um excited about so it's going to be six it's just going to be a mini series of six episodes um we're also going to have interviews with talent um, and that's all being kind of nailed down, but um, the teaser should be out pretty soon. Um, and if you go to the cherrypicks.com or um, Cinema Astrology is the current pod um, that Cherry Picks is putting out. So if you subscribe to that, you'll also find out about um, Cherry Pop when it drops. So I'm excited because it's sort of like there's been a lot of really interesting stuff happening in the realm of uh, sexuality and women as more female voices have come. Get, gotten to, to have gotten opportunities 
it's it'll be kind of cool to dive into that because I think I've said here that I, I feel like there's a lot of room for speaking of innovation, there's a lot of room for innovation in terms of how sex scenes are handled um, in film and that they've traditionally been handled like in this very kind of like hetero masculine way um, that, you know, often doesn't resonate with women. And so um, I'm kind of curious to put on my cultural critic hat and my movie lover hat and um, see what we find out. So look out for Cherry Pop. That sounds awesome. Yeah. I'm excited to hear that theme discussed and like mm-hmm. explored and dug into. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Awesome. Anything else that you want to shout out or? Um, you could check out the piece I have in Vanity Fair that came out. It'll be a number of weeks ago by the time this drops, but that's by far the piece that I've gotten the most response from and to, and people are still tweeting at me about it. And, um, there's a lot more that I want to write about that, but I, I thought it was interesting seeing how people responded to it. And, um, it was the headline is if you support black lives and watch black stories it actually changed the headline a few times during the release like it started out with if you don't watch black stories you don't value black lives or something like that and that actually was the headline that i came up with but um they reframed it which i think is good to put things in the positive but anyway um that's like the latest thing that i've written that i'm really excited about so check that out yeah must read definitely we'll post about it yes Love it. Well, thanks for chatting with us. It's always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. And congrats on your rebranding. I love the thinking and the growth. Thank Thank you. You You can find us at abrighterlens.com and at abrighterlens on Instagram and Twitter. You can email us at abrighterlens at gmail.com. You can download the show wherever you listen to podcasts and on Apple Podcasts where we'd love it if you left us a review. Our theme song was composed by Jesse Nelson. Our logos were designed by Meg Cafferty. Our associate producer is Elise Welch. A Brighter Lens was created by Jennifer Zollett and Larkin Bell. 